Hi, and welcome to another episode of Conversation with a Chef. I'm Joe Ritty, and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. I begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional custodians of the land where this conversation takes place, and I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Today I'm chatting to Tony Twitchett. When I went to Taxi Kitchen to speak to Tony, there was a lot going on in Federation Square. There were people ziplining across the Yarra, Harry Potter fans dressed as wizards, primed for the 20th anniversary free outdoor screening of Harry Potter the Philosopher's Stone, children running towards a 16 metre tall Christmas tree in Christmas Square, and the annual Fiery's Christmas drinks in the Transit Hotel downstairs from Taxi Kitchen. It was all a go. When I got up to the restaurant and met Tony, it was calm, and Tony gave me his undivided attention. Tony didn't plan on becoming a chef. He came to Melbourne to study IT in the 90s, but working in the kitchens of his brother's restaurants, he was quickly hooked, and he's never looked back. He's been lucky enough to work for some big Melbourne names who have been mentors and an inspiration to him. He's now paying that forward, training up new chefs and sharing his love of the industry. Stuck up above the pass is an A4 sheet of paper that says, make it nice, be better. I think that says it all. Hi Tony, how are you? It's um, so busy in <laughs> Federation Square, how's it going here at Taxi? Yeah. We only opened up Saturday, from Monday, Tuesday last week, but uh, it was good that we did. Yeah. Like last Monday, Tuesday was good. Yesterday was really good. Yeah. But yeah, there seems, seems to be a lot of people in the city on, on the weekend and they don't leave, so they're still here on the Mondays. Yeah, yeah right, so. yeah. So I think it's great, isn't it, because people are obviously really embracing getting out and about again, but um, how, how has it been for you? Were you totally shut down over lockdown? Or? Yeah, so basically, in yeah, I mean, lockdown one, we were totally shut down didn't do anything, fully uh, shut down every sort of um, part of the building as much as we could, put every, stood everyone down. And then when we came back, we operated for that in between lockdown one and two. When we got into lockdown two, we're like, well, we can't just shut down because we just don't know what was going to happen. So we, we went, right, let's take Taxi Kitchen on tour. So we started doing pop-ups. Yeah. And so we, we contacted friends of, friends of ours who have got pubs in suburbs or down the coast. So we did uh, Mornington, uh, Mordialic, we did uh, Albert Park, we did out in the eastern suburbs. So we basically just took you know, the chefs from Taxi Kitchen, a few at the front of the house, and did uh, hot takeaway food pickup. And then also, why that was happening, I was um, badgering Shane Dillier, going, Come on, get me on Provador. He's just like, Yeah, yeah, no worries. Yeah, I'm going to take on some more restaurants in a minute. And then uh, we finally got onto Provador in August. Yeah. Um, but also, while all that was happening, we put Taxi Kitchen on the grocery shelves. So we took all of our f- famous signature dishes and basically prepared them on Monday. Supermarkets ordered them from us, like boutique supermarkets like Gumtree, uh, Seclunas, and we basically just put our taxi stamp on it. And yeah, so we had stuff prepping grocery stores, packing it on Wednesday, delivering it to all the grocery stores on Friday, and then they would sell out over the weekend, give us another order. And that was good, because we, we got up to about 11 or 11, 13 was the most we had. And we did get down to um, Sorrento, it was the furthest one we went. 
I did try to get into lawn for the summer, but I couldn't get it. So, I mean, we had, we had that. It's so. amazing. That's a real. That's a. That's a real pivot, isn't it? Um, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, it was. It was, and it really kept this. I mean, it kept this level going. But obviously, it's a. Th- it's a three-level venue, you know. So we've got the public bar on the ground floor, taxi, the restaurant, and then we've got transit rooftop. And so you're doing food for all of those levels. Yeah. So yeah. So basically, when we when we operate, so the pub looks after itself, taxi looks after this floor, and then taxi looks after the rooftop food yeah right but when we did um the groceries and provador it was just all from taxi restaurant taxi yeah, kitchen yeah, yeah. i think it's, it would be better to do, to do that to keep you sort of to keep you match fit in a, in a certain sense anyway because it'd yeah. be hard to come back after i tell you what we did have uh, a lot of a lot of chefs in front of house that were very flat-footed when we came back from lockdown one yeah. just because no one had experienced it it was like well everyone just have a bit of r&r just relax but obviously no one could leave their homes yeah but um, when everyone came back, it was like, whoa, what's the recipe again? Like, everything that we, you know, everything we took for granted, we had to relearn. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then, yeah, so when we did lockdown two, doing those pop-ups, doing the groceries and doing Provador did help us when we reopened in November. So yeah. to be actually, we had, uh, we had more synergy. The unit was still quite uh, tightly knit together. Um, and with the groceries, you know, it was good because we got to use the front of house for all the packing and labelling and then Provador was the same. Mm. Um, and then, you know, even some of the managers driving down the coast to deliver things. So, yeah. Cool. We just tried to do anything and everything. And then um, we basically got through and then we, got, we got, got to a point in February that was like, okay, the groceries are starting to strain us because we, could, we didn't build it. We, we still had this, the core group of um, staff. So we dropped groceries because we had to concentrate on, you know, in-house service. Um, so we let go of that, and we've kept on with Provador all the way through because Provador has been great over the weekend for, for this restaurant. Um, they've just got really good marketing, a really good reach. Yeah. You know, so we've kept that going. There was a really amazing sort of um, what's the word? Not epiphany, but um, happening that you know to, for him to make that happen with restaurants and to take you know takeaway or delivery to, to a whole new level. It's um, yeah, it was yeah. amazing. It was great for us. Oh, almost. exactly. Well, the thing is, we watched. I watched him do it in the in lockdown one, and he sort of. He, I could see what he's doing. So oh, that's a clever idea. And then I was watching Scott Pickett, and he was he was like really ramping up, you know, come pick up pick up the meals and so forth. But it was like we we decided just to sit and just wait, and we just no one knew it was going to be this long. But then as soon as we came out of lockdown, well, lockdown two was like on the edge. It was like well, we have to just sort of jump onto it. And the platform was so well done. Mm. Um, and also, it's just grown so quickly. And he's, he's seen the opportunity there, and he's definitely um, got the right people in and around it. You yeah. know? So I was already using that home delivery service, uh, HDS, which was fantastic, because you know, they come pick up products and take it you know, in a re- refrigerated van. So basically, when we got onto Provador, we, already had an, like, we were already using those guys. Yeah. And that's been a great logistic, logistics team. So. But you must have to work out, because the dish is obviously going to be different when you're packing it up to just plating it and sending well, it out. Right. I've seen some great photos. I've seen some great photos on Instagram saying, thanks, Taxi Kitchen. And you're like, oh, I wouldn't have plated it like that. But anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've got to give up your baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But, um, and we tried to do that with, um, we tried to do that with all of the dishes. So we chose the dishes that would, would be the easiest to reheat or to plate up and home. Yeah. Um, but also try and include those signature dishes like the candy pork and the Szechuan duck so people can 
Because, I mean, that's what people are always asking for when they come here. Yeah. yeah so. so how long have you been at Taxi Kitchen? Oh, I got here in 2004. So, yeah, so I came over um, when Michael Lambie started because I was working with Michael at um, Circa. Yeah. So when he got this gig, he's like, come on, come over. So I did. And, um, yeah, it's been great. You know, so working under him, I think, for, I think it was for the first six years. Yeah. Then I had an opportunity to leave the venue and I went and opened up the um, Barker's Wine Bar and Bistro. That's right. Yeah, so I did that for a year and then came back because Michael decided to move on and the owners at the time were like, well, it would be perfect to bring me back in to, just to keep the place going. Yeah. So, and then through that, we've uh, changed it from taxi dining room. After 10 years of fine dining, we went to taxi kitchen. Yeah. That was really just to, you know, probably just strip it back a little bit. We got rid of the white tablecloths. We reduced the amount of um, wines on the list, made the food a little bit more open to a larger demographic. Yeah, because yeah. we found it was, after 10 years, it was definitely the destination. Everyone dined here once a year. Yeah. It was like, so we've done a bit of a flip on that and that was really good. It was really well received and we've traveled with that sort of, since 2014. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so. So how many does it, does it seat here? In the main dining room here, 120. Yeah. But it yeah. does stretch out around to the river room, yeah, which right. is 50. And then you've got the terrace, which is 35. That's massive. Yeah. So when we don't have any, um, when we don't have any functions or private events, we um, will go out there on Friday, Saturday nights. And on a, on a bus- like Friday and Saturday nights, are you doing like that a couple of times over? Like- Pre-COVID, yeah, pre-COVID, we were doing 240. Yeah, so, and it was really mainly because we got the theatres. So people will come at 5.30, have a, a pre, pre-show dinner. And then, so they're in and out by 6.37. And then you've got all your diners coming in 7.38. So it works well. You obviously love it because you've been here a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. But that hustle, do you, in that, that height of um, service, do you feel stressed or, or is it exhilaration or are you just totally just in the flow and you're oh, so I love used it. to it? Yeah, yeah. Probably in the flow. But yeah. you, do, you do get a buzz. I mean, like even uh, Saturday night, you know, with the team being stretched so far, you know, the public bar's been getting really worked over on the weekend, so we've had our taxi chefs down there. Um, so we ran the kitchen up here with less, and I mean, we only did 150 with canapes at the back, and doing that was just, yeah, everything sort of just worked in perfectly. Yeah. Systems were working, you know, staff are all together, you know, I mean, we do a lot of planning, so it's like we never go into a service without a game plan that everyone's been verbalised to. So it's really good because the whole team knows what's going to happen. Unless something a curveball comes, and and when you say the team, like how many how many in the kitchen have you got? Yeah, at the moment we've, uh, I went yeah. So Jack, Rudy, Cisco, Sammy, Rowan, Lucy. So seven, but yeah. you know normally we'd have like thirteen. You're right. <laughs> so, so that's you... to do the two forties, like mm-hmm. to get back to pre-COVID. So, yeah. Yeah. So the numbers. The numbers are reduced because we are trying to control what we are doing and for the, the, the manpower that we have. Yeah. Yeah. So. So that's the big challenge at the moment, isn't it? Staffing. Yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. So, sort of hoping that people will start going, coming back into the hospitality industry. You know, apprentices would be amazing to start seeing them come back through. Mm. Um, been speaking to William Anglis and been speaking to Holmes Glen. Got good communication with those guys. They've got staff, you know, that sort of hung it, like got through the last two years doing the um, courses, but they've got no trade experience. Mm. So looking at those guys for next year to come through and do 
almost sort of like um, sort of traineeships. Yeah. yeah. So that'd be good. And that would sort of bring some young people in. Yeah. But I think everyone just wants to have the summer off. And we don't yeah. have the internationals to bolster up all the, um, the casuals. Yeah. I don't know, everyone talks about the hot vex summer, but now I think with all this rain that's <laughs> <laughs> forecast, <laughs> you might want to be inside working and earning yeah. a bit of money, maybe. Yeah. yeah, right. It's definitely wet. It's just like, the rain has been an absolute bother. Yeah. Especially when we went through the stages of like, yes, you can open up now at 70%. But you can only have a certain density, so we travelled through that. But then that was a huge issue because it was like the the, the majority of the um, density was outside. So it's like every time we got, no. I know. So it was like, okay, pick up, move inside. Now you're back outside. So, <laughs> Go Melbourne. And then, yeah, exactly. And, so, and then 80 percent, we've got more. And so we had more numbers, but when it rained, we've got more people who had to shelter. So it was just a, like a logistic nightmare. And yeah. then. It was such a blessing to finally get to, you know, trade at your, at your licensed venue, you know, so it's like, right, we can make the public bar a walk-in venue again, we don't have to worry about um, bookings. We've kept the bookings on the rooftop because they work so well for us. Mm. And people love to know that they, when they arrive, they've got their table on the rooftop. And, exactly, yeah, that's right. So yeah. It's worked really well. So we actually kind of run the rooftop now like a restaurant, which is fantastic, which we didn't do yeah. um, pre-COVID. So. Yeah. There's some learnings there that we've like, wow, that's a better way to run the business. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So I was reading that um, it seems like your family was um, into hospitality. That's how. That's what brought you to Melbourne, was it? Because you had siblings, was it? Is that right? Yeah, I'm the youngest of four boys. Yeah. Um, I moved to Melbourne to study IT and go into computer programming. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and I suppose well done. That, yeah, I know, so <laughs> it was probably something that I. It was probably an excuse to get out of the country and into the city, really. But uh, my two older brothers were both chefs in Melbourne yeah. when I got here, so. I started working with them on the weekends. And then after the first, not even the first year, first six months, my older brother said, nah, you might as well start an apprenticeship because you seem to be working more than you go to uni. Yeah. I was like, yeah, good point, where should I go? And my older brother said, go to Stokehouse. Yeah. So I applied there and um, luckily enough, I got a job for the summer and on the pizza section downstairs in the late 90s. Yeah. And then oh, the rest that was is the, history. The heyday, <laughs> wasn't it? With yeah. all those British chefs coming over yeah. and well, they yeah. were all down there, weren't they? And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so Lambie, had, Lambie was upstairs with his, you know, Brit pack. Yeah. And I, I started downstairs and did my first 12 months and all I wanted to do was work upstairs and then I finally got up there and then, yeah, it was great. And what do you think it is about, about cooking and hospitality that, well, that drew you in then and has kept you doing it? I suppose it's the adrenaline of service and just like also like you get a real buzz out of giving someone an experience or you know when people come back and say oh that was the best meal I've ever had or when people used to come into the kitchen and go who cooked that or who did that and you'd stand there so proud going oh that was me and it's just like people are like oh it's fantastic and then you got then you'd have that element of especially at Stokehouse where you've got that sort of celebrity factor when people come in and say thank you very much and you're like oh my god that was uh, George Harrison from the Beatles and or you know those so yeah you, so you're kind of almost on the touch of that sort of uh that realm because you're mm. looking after people but I think it was just really I think for me the buzz of actually service and the creativity and that was one thing at Stokehouse so like even as a second year apprentice upstairs we, we ran lighter and it was funny because it's me my best friend Damien Burke and Sam Forte like Sam works here now. So the three of us were all apprentices at the Stokehouse at the same time. And we used to be up late, like drawing 
you know, different, different specials and coming up with different ideas for terrains and going into work and the chef's party's like, all right, let's get it, we'll do it next week. And that would help us create something. Yeah. And that sort of, I think, has always stayed with me. And that's one thing I try to instill in here. It's just like getting the kids to come up with ideas and then making it happen for them. Because mm. that was the best thing to see, a dish that weird. And obviously it gets changed throughout and, you know, the, you know, the senior chefs are like, put a little twist on it, make it work, you know, because you might have an idea that's like, nah, it's not going to work. <laughs> but they would make it and follow it through. And so when you saw something that you created that you drew a picture of, you're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. You get that real sense of um, ownership and, like, uh, that really good creativity. And I think that was probably one thing I've always loved, you know. Yeah. Even now that I'm sort of in more operations and running the business as a whole, I still love getting in the kitchen and talking to Sam and talking about dishes or new things that have come through or suppliers have got this and you're like okay let's figure out and you sit there and you have that little spark of creativity yeah and there's nothing that you just can't sort of describe it where you actually just come up with something new or come up with put it onto the plate and go what do you think of it and then the customer tells you oh that was amazing you know it's like that's something that you love doing yeah yeah and I think that's something chefs get to do because you are sort of it's creative art you know well, that's exactly right, isn't it? And I think sometimes with some other projects or jobs that people do, it can be a long time to, you know, or if at all that you get any kind of feedback or, you know, satisfaction and you've got kind of that instant, you can look out onto the um, floor and see if people are happy or not or they come up to you and say. Yeah. And I was, um, when I was waiting outside there, um, outside the door, I saw your sign saying, be better. Is it make it nice? Is that what it says up yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> make it nice, be better, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I say that to the guys all the time, just like, yeah. You know, always try and better yourself. That's one thing I've always done. You know, and that sign's been up there for years. You know, I've probably reprinted it a few times. But even like, and even with the kids in the kitchen, because we spend so much time to each other, it's like, just always try and be better as a person. You know, it's like, always try and be a better husband or a better father. It's just like, you know, I try and be a better chef. I try and be a better boss. You know, always, everything you do. And it's like, every time I, you know, turn a potato, I always try and turn the, potato, the next potato better. Yeah. Try and get it perfect. Because you're always trying to just better yourself. Mm. And that's why I've always said to the guys in the kitchen, just, you know, make it nice and be better. Well, it's amazing because I think, you know, some of the stories we get from people who came up through the 90s, it sounds um, as though, you know, there were shouty kitchens and the brigades and all that sort of stuff, even, you know, in Australia. And, um, and um, but it sounds like you had some people that really took you seriously and were quite good mentors to you and oh, that you're yeah. paying it forward yeah I saw my fair share of uh rants and like <laughs> you know it's like it's hilarious when and you can see you understand why because they're so passionate about it yeah. and they just can't hang on to any can't hang on to that sort of that bubble of anger and it's passion really yeah. and they just explode yeah. and I've seen some absolute like you know and I've been on the end of them and I've seen them happen to people and close friends in, in the kitchen and I've always sworn that I'd never be like that because like, I grew up in a kitchen where you learned how to be good out of fear because you didn't want to make a mistake because you didn't want to be on the end of one of those verbal sprays. Mm. But um, I try and, I know it takes longer, but I try and actually create an atmosphere where happy chef's a good chef. Mm. And you know, if you've got a place where everyone can actually feel happy to make a mistake and learn from it and be better, then I found that people have stayed longer. Yeah. Like I've got kids in there that have been here for seven years. They've yeah. come through, done their apprenticeship. They're now going into chef to parties. You know, Sam, head chef, he's been here for seven years. Amazing. Yeah, and it's just, and the guys love working here because it's just like they've got a place where they can be creative. They can. They know they're not going to get shouted at, 
but you know, obviously we've got consistent. We've got to make sure everything stays consistent. Yeah. But um, yeah, happy chef's a good chef. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. And tell me, how did you get into um, like the Southeast Asian, Chinese, Japanese kind of what? Because travel. Yeah. Right. Like I mean, I'm. <laughs> You know, coming down from the country, you know, I, our Chinese shop was just like the, you know, the Friar Street Chinese shop that's just classic to every country town. You go in and you get your, your sweet and sour pork and your fried chicken and, you know, nothing really special. But then every time we come down to the city, I'd go to Chinatown with my father and we'd have banquets and, you know, eat quails and all these different things like Cantonese so. But then I'd work there at Stokehouse and it was like all this, you know, British French cuisine. I was like, oh, this is really intricate and worked, sources and, you know, very, you know, even in the larder where you're building terrains and it's all like very, you know, I suppose measured and everything sort of has building blocks. I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then when I travelled through um, Thailand, as soon as I finished at Stokehouse, I was like, just got blown away with how the people were eating over there and how light and fresh and everything was just, you know, the flavours were just so huge and you're like wow this is full on and I just fell in love with it so when I came back to Melbourne it was like I needed to find a chef and I found Rob Cunningham who was like right into Asian cuisine and we worked together for nearly two years just in a couple of different venues and um, and then into Ezard's and that's because I was just chasing that you know that sort of that cuisine or a chef to sort of open me up to that and I think through Rob and Teague is really where I sort of found the love of bringing that Asian cuisine into what I'd already my building blocks you know, of that basic French methods. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, less butter and cream and more more vibrant but more fiery and, you know, they're really big flavours, yeah. you know, in that Southeast Asian. But if you can control it and balance it, you know, it's just, it's really, really good. And I guess that's what happened too. It happens too if, you, um, if you've become really good at something and you really love it, then you, you're probably open to how you can draw in other elements into that. And so, yeah, then it's just... You're, ever, you're, ever, you're building up your repertoire all the time yeah. and being inspired all the time. Oh, exactly. You know, I think one of the biggest compliments I had was from Rita Ehrlich, who was just saying, she goes, you just got, you just got a knack of taking that, you know, Asian cuisine and making it palatable for Westerners. And she goes, it's like that, you know, it's like uh, global flavours with local produce. And it's just like, oh, thank you. It's like, and which is good because it's like, you know, you can, a lot of people can go, oh, I can't eat Thai food, it's too spicy. But you can if it's, you know, balanced right, you know. And that's just the thing is, it's like hot, sour, salty, sweet. If you get those all balanced together, you know, most people can enjoy it. Yeah. You know, so. But, I mean, even now I've got sort of like my candy pork that I have on here. It's, you know, you start off with a, you know, you brine the pork and then you confit the pork. So very French. But then you finish it, you know, during service, you know, flash fried star anise, palm sugar, caramel, and then a pickle papaya salad. So it ends up very, like a very Thai dish, mm, even mm. though the method is, starts off primarily as a French cuisine. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so, Love it. Yeah, I know. So you're like, oh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, and always exploring those flavours. And I think Asian cuisine suits Melbourne quite a lot. I think people like eating lighter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so. yeah absolutely. When we do have hot weather. <laughs> Day. It was the 7th of December and it's like 14 degrees. Amazing. And raining. And raining. Yeah. There's a whole wonderland out there. It's amazing. <laughs> and so just um, to finish, you've kind of already touched on this a little bit, but um, 
if a young person was thinking of becoming a chef, what would you, what would your advice be? Find a kitchen that you love. You know, obviously you do interviews and you do trials. The trial is really for you to see if you like the kitchen. If you don't like the kitchen, go find a new kitchen. If you find a kitchen that you love, you'll learn so much more. You know, it's like, and find, and uh, find a mentor, find someone that you want to learn from. Because I think if you find a kitchen that you can go into and feed off the knowledge of someone, you'll, you'll fly through your apprenticeship and you will not find it hard or difficult because you'll be constantly fed knowledge, you'll be always feel, you know, you feel the gratitude of a kitchen and you'll also have the passion of every time you serve a dish, even though it's for a chef for his own restaurant, you'll always have that pride of going, uh, you know, you look out at the customers and they're like eating something that you've created, you know. And I think that's what you just have to, you just find that kitchen, you know. And if you don't find it the first time, go and find it somewhere else. You know, I'm lucky because I found it straight away and I did my whole apprenticeship at Stokehouse. I mean, I started downstairs and went upstairs. You know, and then I did a couple of different kitchens looking for the, you know, the Asian-inspired chefs and then went back to Circa. And, I mean, I ended up working with Lambie for 12 years, but I've learned so much of him, mm. you know, and it was cuisine, but, you know, also how he ran his business, you know, so I learned so much from him. So I think, yeah, find the kitchen that suits you. I think that's the best thing to do. Yeah. And find someone that you're going to learn from. But yeah, other than that, I don't know what else to say. No, I think that's perfect. Yeah, that's yeah. great advice. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for your time. Um, right, too. Lovely to meet you. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Conversation with the Chef with Tony Twitchett at Taxi Kitchen. If you want to experience all the greatness for yourself, which of course you do, you can follow at transport underscore hotel on Instagram and see what's happening at Taxi Kitchen and on the rooftop. As for me, I'm also on Instagram at conversation with a chef. And if you want to read the chat, you can head to www.conversationwithachef.com. I'd really like it if you told a friend about my chats. And of course, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or click follow on Spotify so I know you're there. Once again, thanks so much for listening. Have a great day. See you next time.